What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Good Wolf Radio. It is Jerry Scarlato, and today we will be talking about aging yet again. We did have a conversation recently, a couple months back, a couple weeks back, more likely. We've only been doing this for a couple months. Um, recently, about why we age. That was more the physiology and biology of why we age. We talked a little bit about society and how society impacts our thinking on aging. So I thought that it was important to continue the conversation on aging, which this will not be the last time we talk about this either because it is that important of a topic. Um, but I thought that it was important to bring it back so soon because I just hear a lot about people's beliefs about aging and how those beliefs are dragging our abilities down. They drag our abilities down because the way we believe things or our mindset about aging causes us to not act on our potential because we don't think that we're capable of doing more. We believe that aging is a certain thing, and so we don't do much about it because we convince ourselves that it's too late, I'm not capable, I'm too old to do it anyway because I'll get hurt, or so on and so forth. So shifting our mindset about aging is going to be important if we are going to, like, if, if you're going to become the kind of person that lives a healthy, vital life, shifting your mindset about aging is going to just be one of the most important things that you can do. It goes along with identity. That's what this whole show is about, is uh, shifting your identity about who you believe that you are. No matter if you're 20, 30, 60, 80, or 100, you currently have a mindset about aging, and you attach that to your identity based on where you are. We attach, we change our belief about aging based on our individual where we are in our individual journey, as far as chronologically, um, and where we are as a society, as we'll see in a second. Both of these things have an impact on how we think about aging and how we think about ourselves when it comes to our current chronological age, chronological age. So when we are younger, typically teens and early 20s, we disassociate ourselves from our current age by wanting and pretending and striving to act and be older. We look at people older than us. I think I would say especially teenagers, maybe 15, 16, 17, that age looks at 18-year-olds and they're like, oh, 18, that's great because like 18 is the random age when you can buy cigarettes and vote. So like you look at that age and you go, oh, 18's cool. 18-year-olds and 19 and 20-year-olds look at 21-year-olds and they go, oh, that'd be great. I can't wait till I'm 21. Then I can buy alcohol. It's just another level up. Once you get past 21, it's like, you get 25, that's when your insurance goes down. Like, I don't know if that's like a meg. No? That's gone? Oh, it is true. Oh, you're drunk. <laughs> Jonna. Jonna. Um, Jonna just confirmed what I had to say. But nonetheless, at 25, your insurance changes. So, like, you look forward to the next age up until about 21 or 25. You're trying to get to the next 
unlock moment where you can do the next level of things. And so you try to be like those people and you try to act like those people. When you were my generation, I don't think it's as easy with current generations just because of our IDs and the way that they're so technical. When you were my generation, you not only did this physically by trying to dress and act differently, but you also did this by having IDs that said you were at an age that you're not. So I, I know that that's still a thing, but luckily it's more challenging now than it was. Not that I believe that you need to be 21 to buy alcohol, but that's a whole other conversation that's not to be had today. Um, nonetheless, when we're younger, we disassociate from our age by wishing we were older. In our middle age, typically from 25 or so to, I don't know, 40 or 45, we're not all that concerned about paying attention to our age. Some of us in our late 20s, early 30s still wish that we were a little younger. But generally speaking, in, that, in those decades, 30, 40, 30s and 40s, um, even kind of 50s, like we don't care about being older or younger, we're caught up in living our lives. We're caught up in, you know, raising a family. We're caught up in our career. We're caught up in, you know, whatever else is going on around us. So maybe we're not, we're too busy, if you will, to even think about being older or younger. We're, we kind of enjoy where we are. We're appreciating that midpoint in life. Yes, of course, there are those times where we're like, oh, we hit middle age, hence the midlife crisis. Um, but nonetheless, like in your middle age, you, you don't as much pay attention to being older or younger. Most of the time, most of the time. Now, of course, most of the people here at Thibology are quote unquote middle-aged. Um, and a lot of them will say things about being older. So they'll get aches and pains and they'll go, oh, it's hell to get old. Or, you know, this is what happens when you age. I'm I'll be 39 this year, and they'll go, you just wait until you're my age. Okay, like, that's fine. Like, that is not wishing to be older or younger. It's just having the mindset that this is what happens when you get, quote, older, which is partly true, but again, not all the way true, which we'll see in a bit. Um, finally, once we get kind of into our later years, 60s, 70s, and 80s, we disassociate from our age in reverse. So we act like and want to be associated with being younger. So we do what the tricky thing that we do as we get older is that we change our wish in which our, we change our goal in which we want to live as far as chronological age. So in our teens and twenties, we want to live to about our mid nineties. When we get to like thirties and forties, we want to live to like mid eighties. When we get back to our 60s, 70s, and of course 80s, then we want to live to 100. Because we, partly because we want to be associated as being younger. And so we play our own mental tricks on ourselves, disassociating ourselves from our current age by wanting to be older. I want to, not wanting to be older, but by wanting to live longer. I want to live till I'm 100. That's what 70, a 70 or 80 or 90 year old might think because. They want to feel younger because they know the importance of the mindset of feeling younger because they have lived through life. They have experienced life. So they understand that those years where they were complaining about their age 
probably deteriorated them faster than their current years in their 70s and 80s when they're going, oh, I, I, I want to be younger. So I'm going to tell myself that I'm going to live longer so that I can start to shift the mindset that I am younger, that I am younger because I want to be younger. I want to be perceived as younger. So I'm going to extend the time at which I want to live. So that's generally how we think about age through the decades. In that time, like I said, many people just fall for the falsehood that age equals disease and decrepitude. And that shift, that mindset has only been pretty recent. That has only happened as, at a societal level over the last about 70 or 80 years, as we'll see in a bit. As, at a societal level, we have shifted our mindset about aging. The way that we think of aging today, which, which is changing, it is improving, it is getting better. We are starting to understand that there is plenty we can do, that the chronic disease that we are riddled with right now can be overcome by making some lifestyle changes, by taking responsibility and accountability for our actions um, and not looking so heavily upon a medical community that is yet to buy into the understanding that we can control to a degree um, our chronic issue outcomes, our chronic disease outcomes. Um, but nonetheless, we still have a long way to go. And where we are today is much different than where we were 100 or 150 years ago. Um, I found a paper titled, uh, what is this paper titled? Popular Views of Old Age in America, 1900 to 1950, written by Laura Davido Hirschbein, probably way off, uh, an MD and PhD, I believe this from Harvard, where are you from? University, oh, way off, University of Michigan. Um from the University of Michigan, excuse me. Uh, so what they did was went back and reviewed dozens and hundreds and however many articles and clippings and newspaper newspapers and uh, just content from those decades, the 1900s to the 1950s, basically looked at anything that referred to aging and talked about aging and talked about the experience of aging and talked about what happens when you age and the outcomes of aging and so on and so forth. And extrapolated from that the typical societal beliefs around aging. So there, what they found is there were three phases of the mindset shift to where we are today, to our belief today that aging is a it, is, it means disease, it means being decrepit, it means being old and feeble. There was a mindset shift over the course of that just 50 years that has stuck around this long. Um, and it's interesting to see where the shift kind of takes place and the community of which, uh, I don't want to say causes it, but exacerbates the shift. So I'm going to read you a few paragraphs here and there so that you can catch uh, the author's words uh, from their viewpoint. Um, so the first phase was from 1900 to 1920. Of course, everything kind of leading up to 1900 is relevant as well, and that's kind of was the mindset around aging 
is the mindset that we're going to see here in a second. Uh, so the author writes, in the first decades of the 20th century, older people wrote and were interviewed in popular magazines about their experiences of staying healthy and approaching old age. These older authors and subjects were from elite classes in society and were by no means a representative sample of older Americans. Still, these representations dominated the popular literature during this time. Older people identified no age cutoff or set of physical or mental attributes that characterized old age. Some even denied the label of old and instead emphasized that the later years of life were shaped by their many years of experience. So the literature that these people were reading between 1900 and 1920 was written by or brought by, brought through people who had experienced old age. They were 70 or 80 or 90 years old or whatever their age was. It, magazines would interview these people and ask them their experiences and they would ask them how they lived and they would ask them how they overcome certain things and they would ask them about, yeah, the, the, the things that they did have, the ailments that they had and how they had to deal with them and so on and so forth. But the majority of the literature was from experience. It was from the person. It was from the people who were going through it. Um, the author continues and says, although health professionals offered advice in this time period, and one physician, uh, she puts the name here, I.L. Nasher, in 1909, even suggested a medical specialty devoted to old age, which, as we'll see in a little bit, comes in the third phase, Commentators within the popular literature were, were ready and able to adapt medical and scientific viewpoints to their own purposes. If physicians discussed limitations in old age, popular commentators rejected their advice. Instead, authors within the popular literature embraced promises to extend life with or without professional help. So during this time frame, the people who society looked upon as the experts on old age were old people. That's it. That's a shocking idea. Um, there were old people. And those old people, quote unquote, uh, followed their own rules, if you will. They didn't pay attention to what the medical profession had to say. They didn't care what the medical profession had to say. As the author writes, if physicians discussed limitations in old age, popular commentators rejected their advice. In other words, the people, the old people of the time who were talking about being old, when they were told this is the way that it is by a medical professional, they said, no, I don't think that that's the way it is. Here's the way that it is. I've lived till I was 90 years old. Up until this point, who are you to tell me that this is the way that it is? So... Of course, today, that's not a very popular viewpoint. It's not popular to push back against a medical professional. It's not popular to even question an authority. Me being the person that I am, I get in trouble most of the time because of my beliefs about that. But I do believe that many of us would do so much better if we just questioned, just ask questions. And it's not about being disrespectful by any stretch. I completely understand and believe that most medical professionals, be they doctors, nurses, or anything else, are much smarter than me. They know a lot more about the human body to an extent, 
to one degree than I do. And so I do respect that. And I certainly do. And yet, they're still a person. It's still just a person giving me their opinion. And so being able to question that person should be okay. And it is okay. But we have fallen into the trap that we need to follow along because of the, quote, authority that has been brought upon us, which we'll see in a little bit. So that was phase one, 1900 to 1920, when the people who were writing about old age were old people and their experiences and those old people did what they wanted to do and not what medical professionals, quote, told them to do. The next phase then was from the 1920 to the early 1930s. I'm going to take a quick sip out of this wonderful Thribology mug that just does a great job of holding water um, and then letting me drink from it. I'm not trying to sell you this mug because we don't have any of them, so I don't know why I'm exacerbating the importance of it. But nonetheless, there it is. So from 1920 to the early 1930s, that was the next phase. That's when we started to see a shift in our beliefs about what aging was. The author writes, in the years after World War I, popular ideas about old age and the value of older people's memories about the past underwent a significant shift. Although many writers before the 1920s had encouraged older people to engage in activities that would prolong youth and postpone decay, this advice became more important in the following decades as images of decrepitude in old age became more common. However, although old age itself seemed more unpleasant, it was not inevitable within the popular literature. I'll read that again. However, although old age itself seemed more unpleasant, it was not inevitable itself within the popular literature. So remember, during phase one, from 1900 to 1920, the popular literature was old people. Old people writing about doing old people things and becoming an old person. That's the popular literature. So during this time, what we're seeing is a shift. We're seeing some content coming out. I don't think they would call it content at the time. Actually, I'm sure they wouldn't call it content. But would they, you see stuff coming out about how old age is, um, leads to quote-unquote decrepitude. And that is becoming more and more common. Um, back to the author. Older, excuse me. Almost burped right in the mic. That would have been wonderful. Um, older people who remained the most important authority authorities on old age proclaimed that chronological age was not the way to understand someone's real age. Instead, old age as a category included those who did not work to keep themselves young, and people who were advanced in years explained that excuse me explained their efforts to look and act younger the same time that older people talked about avoiding what they understood as old age, popular ideas about the past and the present revealed a diminished role for older people's memory and the tradition it symbolized, as Americans became aware of their nation's pot, uh, position as a new national power in the 1920s, many encouraged a look to the future rather than the past. So, Now that World War I 
has come and gone, America's starting to realize and society in America is starting to realize that uh, we got something going on here. We, we are a power in the world. And because of that, maybe it makes sense to quit paying attention to those old people that keep talking about old stuff. Those old people that keep talking about, oh, the good old days of the Civil War. The good old days of the, of the war when, you know, we cared about our country and this, that, and the other thing, and that's what we fought for. And instead, we should start looking forward to the future. Instead, we should start striving forward to the future, which is important. Don't get me wrong. Um, so we started this mindset shift. And because of this mindset shift, we started to devalue quote, old people. We started to look at people beyond a certain age as not as important because up until that point, we, uh, not only, but a lot of their importance came from their wisdom, their memories, their stories, their, what, what it meant to go through life, what it meant to have those experiences and overcome obstacles and all of that. And then we decided after World War I that maybe that's not as important as we thought that it was. Maybe we need to quit looking back and we need to start looking forward. So that became, or that started the downfall, if you will, of our belief and understanding that old age is important. That having experience having wisdom, that overcoming obstacles over time and having to scrape yourself back from downtrodden times and knowing how that happened and knowing that it happened so that we can hopefully not have those things happen to us or our society again in the future, that became unpopular. One thing that I, one phrase that I've heard from uh, a guy named Jay Rufus Fears, who sadly passed away maybe a decade or so ago at this point. Anyway, he has a number of um, courses on the great courses. I think that's still their name, actually. I think they changed the name of the company. Anyway, it used to be called the Great Courses Series. Nonetheless, he has a bunch of courses on there. I strongly recommend you go find them. J. Rufus Fears is his name. Anyway, one of the things he says about history is what we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Um, and part of the reason that we struggle to do that now is because we have devalued the importance of listening to wisdom. And in order to have wisdom, you need to have years. It is that simple. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how much school you've gone through. Doesn't matter how many books you read. I'm a big book reader. I love reading books. But to be totally honest, like, knowledge is not power. Knowledge is only potential power. Wisdom is power. But wisdom is knowledge and action. And until you've done that, you don't have it. So valuing the person that has been through that is infinitely important. And this is the downfall. and Not the downfall, but this is the beginning of the backslide of that belief. All right, so that leads us to Phase three, the final phase that transitions us from a mindset about old age that is empowering, that is 
appreciative of wisdom, that is appreciative of experience, over to what we're about to see, which is not the complete opposite, but it's pretty darn close. So the author says, by the 1930s and into the 1940s, national enthusiasm about extending life and avoiding old age was waning. One of the most important causes of this in the 1930s was the continuation of the crushing economic crisis of the, the, of the, of the depression. If I can get that out. Before the 1930s, older people did not retire because of advanced age and, in fact, stayed in the workforce until they had sufficient funds to retire. However, by the early 1930s, especially in the wake of the Depression, retirement in old age was considered essential to help younger workers find jobs. During this time, the increasing numbers of older people came to be seen as adding a burden to American society. So I can, I can only imagine going through the Depression. I can only imagine living through that time when, I don't, I don't, I mean, granted, we've, we are currently potentially living through a recession. I don't know. I can't really tell. Um, but we're currently like facing potentially an economic crash. Uh, we've lived through recessions before. And yet to live through a depression when the vast majority of society is literally in poverty is a completely different thing. So to live through that, I cannot fathom. And yet, going through that and coming out of that was the, the deterioration of people of older age because they were, again, starting to be seen as a burden because they needed to, quote, get out of the way so that younger people could come in and have their jobs. This is, I'll, I'll, I would venture to argue, um, Honestly, one of the beginning of the downfalls of our extended life that we were having as a society, because we started to force people to retire at an age or strongly encourage them to retire at an age because they were, quote, too old to contribute anymore for whatever reason, even though up until this point in the 1930s, as the author says, Older people did not retire because of old advanced age and, in fact, stayed in the workplace until they had sufficient funds to retire. Um, having to change that or feeling like we had to change that so that younger people could come in started the decline of people beyond retirement age. Because what happens when you retire? Well, most people like to believe that when they retire, I can't wait till I retire so that I can go out and travel the world and do this, that, and the other thing, and I can do all the things that I've wanted to do in my life. And some people do that, luckily for them, and most don't. I forget, I don't think that it's this short anymore, but at a certain point, somewhere around like year 2000, the number of years that Social Security was paid out was like, I don't know, it was like five or seven, eight, it was single digits, which basically means the number of years that people lived past retirement age was like seven, not many. Now, I don't think that it's that short anymore, but nonetheless, like, when we retire, we stop 
doing things, generally speaking. We have aspirations, but we stop doing things. And so in stopping doing things, our purpose as a human being just is basically wiped away to an extent. So starting to enforce a retirement age is starting the deterioration of people of that age and beyond. Another thing that's happening. Um, so in 1935, speaking of social security, 1935, social security was enacted. That was another belief which brought about, which brought about a reinforced belief of the economic burden that old people had, because now we had to quote pay these people to sit around and not work because we were kind of forcing them to retire, not forcing them, but strongly encouraging them. So all these things stacked on top of each other started the downside. On top of that was the literature that was going out about what it meant to be old and what the experience was to be old. And now it was no longer an experience that was being written about, but the disease of being old. So the author writes, the growing medical interest in old age may have unintentionally helped advance the idea that old age is accompanied by inevitable pathology. The national presence of a medical specialty devoted to old age came about with the 1942 formation of the American Geriatrics Society. Geriatricians attempted to differentiate normal and ab abnormal aging and define appropriate professional intervention. In the process, although they were not successful in maintaining as their domain all of the medical problems of old age that they initially claimed for their specialty, they did succeed in alerting the medical profession to some of the unique rewards and challenges of treating older people. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I have to laugh at that. I, I, can, I re, can I say that again? Um, in the process blah, 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 blah. They did succeed in alerting the medical profession to some of the unique rewards and challenges of treating old people. All right, moving on. Sorry, I'm like flabbergasted by that statement. Um, however, although they were often supportive of the problems of older people, the language of geriatricians' interventions emphasized the disease and disability they were inevitable, that were inevitable products of growing old. In addition, increasing physician interest in old age meant a decline in older people's authority to explain the nature of old age. Okay. Woo. So, sorry, I get like, when I, when I start to talk about the money that is made off of that is made by pharmaceutical companies, by the medical industry, by keeping us sick, I get very, very freaking worked up. So excuse me for kind of being for a loss of words right now, but I'll bring it back around. Um, so what happened is, the American Geriatric Society was formed. And in so forming a society, a um, 
a specialty around treating old people, it suddenly became a thing. Now you're old and now we need something to treat you. Now we need something to make sure that you're not too much of a burden on society because you're already a burden because we got to pay you to retire and we got to get you out of the way so that younger people can come in. And also you're, you know, we just want to make sure you're not more of a burden to society. So we're going to go ahead and create something. Oh, and by the way, we're going to make a big deal about it so that, so that we can have more of our own rewards and, um, Man, where did that line go? Sorry, that line just baffles me. Um, the rewards that come from treating people of old age. Do you know what that means? The money that comes from treating people of old age. Money is not made by keeping people healthy. Money is made by treating people. Anyway. In addition, increasing physician interest in old age meant a decline in older people's authority to explain the nature of old age. So if you recall in phase one, the people who wrote about old age and who were interviewed about old age were people who were old. There were people who were, went through the thing. They were people who talked about experiences, and they were people who could actually talk about what it was to be old. And now, 1930s and beyond, now it was the medical profession that was telling us what it means to be old. Now it's the me medical, and that, that's the way that it is now, by the way. Um, now it's the medical profession who is the authority of old age. It's not people who are old. It's not people who are old. It's not people who are 70, 80, and 90. It is the medical profession because the medical profession knows best because they have scientific literature to back them up, and they have medicines to back them up, and so on and so forth. I strongly believe in westernitis medicine and how much it has helped save so many people. And yet, the rewards that they're after are very real. And it's easy to get caught up in the feeling of authority when someone who has gone through medical school is telling you what to do because they, now that they've read a bunch of books, have been deemed a, an authority and they've been deemed uh, to have the ability to tell you what to do even though they haven't lived through old age, even though they don't know what it means, even though they, they're not that person that is going through it or has gone through it or has overcome challenges. That's where old age really took it. We started to look at it as disease and decrepitude. We started to look at it as something that is inevitable. This is what's going to happen. This is what we have to prepare for. And we need to just mentally accept it. And as we get older, we need to make sure to take care of ourselves. Kind of take it easy so that you don't hurt yourself, so that you don't trip and fall, and so on and so forth. Which is true. That tripping and falling is not a good thing past the age of 65. And yet, um, I know many, my dad's going to be 80 this year. And he trains with people in this gym. So um, if you know any of the people in this gym, you should ask them about him. Because damn, like, <clears throat> that dude, I want to be like. Not his height, he's shorter than me. I don't want to be any shorter. 
Um, <laughs> but his, his, tra- his ability at 80 years old, um, I think would prove all of this wrong that we just talked about. At any rate, that's all I got. Um, I know that I stammered a little bit there, so I apologize about that. Nonetheless, this is something that I am extremely passionate about. And I really, really, really want people to, let me rephrase that. I really, really want you to understand that you can do something about all of this. All of it you can do something about if you're willing to put in the effort. Which we'll talk about next time. So until then, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. And until next time, my friends, here's to your success and health and fitness mastery.